The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Welcome to Life Matters. I'm your host, Brendan O'Connell. Well, we have a very distinguished guest today, Dr. Michael New, who uh, got a PhD from Stanford, but uh, his biggest claim to fame is he went to high school where uh, the quarterback from the Miami Dolphins, so Dan Marino, <laughs> played football. And Michael, welcome to the show today. There, there are some current topics that uh, need to be discussed, and one is very important. There's going to be a vote in November uh, uh, that has to do with the pro-life world. Can you tell us what, a little bit of the background and then what's happened? Something happened in August, I know, and now in November sure. we're going to have a... Yes, sure. That, uh, pro-lifers achieved a great victory you know, last June with the Dobbs' decision and we've been able to pass good protective pro-life laws. The other side is pushing back and trying to use direct democracy to put abortion rights in state constitutions. So they did this in California. They did this in Vermont. That was not surprising. These are very liberal states. Uh, they did it in Michigan as well, uh, which is a purplish state. Uh, usually it was Democrat, but Republicans are competitive. Now they're going to Ohio. And in November, there's going to be an election on what's known as Issue 1. And Issue 1 would place abortion rights directly in the state constitution. So this is something that pro-lifers are rallying hard against. Uh, you know, we really want to win Ohio. Uh, it's one thing when the other side wins liberal states, but we don't want our opponents to win in a conservative state. You know, this is a state that Donald Trump carried twice. Uh, it's a state that's trending more conservative. Uh, it's a state with a lot of good pro-life laws that might be jeopardized. And so some background, um, you know, there were some efforts to try to make it harder uh, for this initiative to pass. In August, there was a vote that would uh, raise the vote threshold to amend the state constitution from 50% to 60% to make it a little harder for out-of-state interests and outside millionaires to, you know, amend the state constitution. That failed. So here we are uh, facing an election in November. Again, our opponents are trying to put legal abortion uh, in Ohio's state constitution. And they're proposing is very radical. Uh, it would very likely uh, legalize abortion throughout all nine months of pregnancy, make it difficult to protect children even very late in gestation. It would very likely eliminate Ohio's pro-life parental involvement law. It would very likely eliminate the waiting period. It might require the Medicaid program, Ohio's Medicaid program, to cover elective abortions. So that would be taxpayer funding for abortion in Ohio. This is something pro-lifers really need to invest heavily in to stop. Uh, it would be... We don't want to see abortion legal in Ohio or made more legal. We don't want these laws to be more permissive. And we don't want the other side to achieve a victory in a conservative state. Well, uh, they seem to, the other side, and I guess this is the 20 years that I've been doing this show, 
it, it seems like the other side just way outspends us. And I, I don't know where they get their money, but uh, uh, they outspend us a tremendous amount. Is that going to be the case in Ohio, too? Well, one thing we do know is that uh, abortion is a multi-billion dollar industry. Uh, there's a lot of money in the abortion industry. Sadly, you know, unborn children don't pay pro-lifers to protect them. So we're often at a funding disadvantage. Uh, and money is important in direct democracy campaigns. I'm not going to lie. That does put us at a disadvantage. But it's not, you know, insurmountable. You know, well, groups who oppose issue one, you know, are raising money. Uh, the various Catholic dioceses have made some substantial donations. Uh, you know, they're, I would encourage, you know, your viewers to go on the website and even consider a donation yourself. Even small donations are welcome and appreciated. You know, money is important, but it's not everything. You know, if the pro-life side is able to raise enough to make good arguments and get the message out, uh, this is winnable. You know, I think we have our work cut out for us. It's not going to be easy, uh, but it is winnable. I don't ever believe in, in despair. Well, uh, can you tell us what um, what are the arguments that, that the pro-aborts are using to try to sell it to the Ohio people? And what are the arguments that the pro-life people are doing to sell it to the Ohio people? Well, I mean, the pro-aborts, you know, are want to see abortion legal. Uh, but one thing that they're doing is they're just trying to play up, you know, hard case scenarios involving, um, you know, pregnancies where a woman's raped or pregnancies where there's a severe field deformity or they're trying to come up with anecdotes where a pregnant woman couldn't get the health care she needed uh, because of a pro-life law that was in place. And I think that's just disingenuous and misleading. I mean, I think that it's very clear that, you know, you don't have to wait. We want pregnant women first to get whatever health care they need. You don't have to wait till someone's death is imminent uh, to give them health care uh, if, if a woman's pregnant. Uh, you know, in situations involving, you know, rape and field deformity, you know, are very rare. And even in those situations, you know, nobody has any control over the circumstances surrounding their conception. You know, all life is valuable. All life is precious. Those are tough scenarios. Uh, but I think it's important that, you know, life to be protected. Um, you know, the pro-life side, you know, we're really kind of making a key argument on, you know, trying to stop late-term abortions. Uh, Create Equal just released an ad that was either very powerful on that topic. We're trying to basically hit very hard parental rights. You know, Ohio has a parental involvement law requiring that minor girls, you know, tell their parents before they get an abortion. That's just common sense. There's a good chance if this passes. Uh, that would go by the wayside. And also this allows, you know, other, you know, other things for all the minors. There's questions about can minors get contraception without their parents' knowledge? Can they be sterilized without their parents' knowledge? Can they get transgender treatments without their parents' knowledge? So uh, the one key argument that pro-lifers are making are that we need to strengthen parents' rights, and this issue one would undermine parents' rights. And uh, can I ask you, the abortion pill is now uh, about 50% of all abortions. Would, would that be an argument for the pro-life side that, you know, you don't know if your daughter is ordering a, an abortion pill or not? Sure. I mean, uh, I think that, you know, if abortion is very deregulated in Ohio, uh, which the issue one would do, uh, it would be possible for minor girls to obtain not only surgical abortions, but chemical abortions. All abortions are failed to unborn children, uh, but chemical abortions do pose some unique risks to women, especially if they're done unsupervised. Uh, if a woman has an ectopic pregnancy, obtains a chemical abortion, that can be fatal. If she's further along in gestation, she realizes that she's a chemical abortion. That could pose some very serious health consequences. So, sure, I think that, you know, uh, concerns about chemical abortion pills being mailed to minor girls in Ohio, uh, that's certainly a legitimate point to, to be made here. Mm -hmm. 
I'd like to uh, now switch over to uh, Donald Trump made some comments about a timeline, six weeks, and he uh, the really kind of unclear <laughs> remarks, but uh, saying it would be awful, terrible, uh, and, and we really don't know. I mean, he, we in the pro-life movement feel that he did some great things during his four years in the presidency, uh, but now he's. Uh, blaming uh, DeSantis for Florida's law, I guess, in six weeks. And for uh, our viewers to know and listeners to know, most surgical abortions and chemical abortions happen between five weeks and 12 weeks, roughly. The vast majority of, of abortions occur during that period. What do you make of Donald Trump's remarks and DeSantis's and some of these other politicians who are barking back at Trump's remarks in that regard. Now first, I do agree, President Trump did a lot of good for pro-lifers, and we should acknowledge and appreciate that. His judicial nominations were excellent. You know, it's because of you know Neil Gorsuch and Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh that we got Roe v. Wade overturned. We can now protect preborn children. And in 14 states, you know, preborn children are protected. So it's important to give creds to. That said, his statements about the six-week abortion limit were very disappointing. Uh, Ron DeSantis, as governor, signed a bill that would protect preborn children after six weeks gestation, after a fetal heartbeat could be detected. President Trump called that a terrible thing, a terrible mistake. It wasn't a terrible thing. Protecting preborn children isn't terrible. It's a great thing. You know, protecting people from abortion violence is something that Ron DeSantis and other pro-life governors should be commended for. So we've seen a lot of good coming from these you know, heartbeat bills. You know, the Florida law, uh, I don't think, has taken effect due to legal challenges, but Texas actually had a heartbeat law that took effect even before the Dobbs decision. Their law took effect September of 2021. And we have some interesting birth data from Texas that being seven months later, uh, we saw a lot of children being born in Texas, in fact, record numbers. Uh, based on the increase in birth numbers, we can show that the Texas heartbeat law saved about a thousand children every month from abortion. So my study shows that, a study that appeared in the Journal of the American Medical Association shows that you have more people protected, or children being born, uh, that's a, certainly a great thing. That is, under no circumstances, a terrible thing. Well, haven't they just, like uh, the people in Texas, gone to Las Cruces, New Mexico, to have an abortion, which is right on the border of Texas? Um, Your laws aren't magical. I mean, you know, it's, laws are circumvented. Um, you know, people get around laws all the time. People break laws, but that doesn't mean the law is not doing any good. I mean, one thing that I really want to do with my own research was really see the impact of this Texas law. The problem with tracking abortions is it's tough. Abortion numbers went down in Texas, but they went up in New Mexico. They may have gone up in Louisiana, other states. So it's hard to track. Did the out-of-state increase exceed or equal the in-state decline? But the one thing I do is look at children being born, births. Abortions are hard to count. Children are pretty easy to count. Children are hard to miss. So yeah. if after a pro-life law takes effect, if seven months later you see a lot more children being born, I think that's very powerful statistical evidence that the pro-life law is having an impact. So again, if you see more children being born in Texas, which you do, uh, that shows the Heartbeat Act is having a positive impact. I also would add that in 2022, in percentage terms, Texas had the largest birth rate increase of any state in the country. I think births increased by about 4.7%. Why? They're the first state to start enforcing a strong pro-life law. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that in any other states? That uh, Have you had enough time to analyze the data in any other states? Unfortunately, no. Um, you know, essentially, Texas was really in the lead with this Heartbeat Act. Um, 
know, because of the Dobbs decision, you know, that came down June of 2022. It's something I'm going to look at. You know, may try to get a paper out before uh, the March for Life in January 2024. Uh, some states just are not very quick about making birth data available. So there is data out there on a future episode of Life Matters. Please have me on. I hope to discuss the good news from other states. But right now, the only state where you really saw data from is Texas, but it's good data. It does show very clearly birth numbers did go up months after the Heartbeat Act took effect. Would critics say about the uh, birth going up that it's just a bunch of uh, uh, people streaming over the border who have uh, children, uh, mostly Central and South Americans, coming into Texas? That's a possibility. We keep on, I mean, immigration is a, didn't start as a problem in 2022. There have been border control problems in Texas for a long time. I mean, ever since Biden took over, uh, I mean, I'm not an expert in immigration, but he seemed to relax a lot of the Trump-era rules that sort of put the brakes on illegal immigration. So illegal immigration was a problem in 2021, but we didn't see the big birth increase there. We didn't see the big birth increase in 2022. Why? I think it's the Heartbeat Act. I mean, there may be other things at play. It may not just be the Heartbeat Act. Uh, the other thing I'll say is that we see the largest birth increases in those Texas counties far away from Iowa State abortion facilities. So we didn't necessarily see, you know, a big birth increase in maybe El Paso, Texas, which is close to New Mexico. We saw bigger birth increases in kind of inland counties far away uh, from these Iowa State facilities. So I think that's additional evidence that these laws are having a, having an impact. Um, I, uh, uh, James Bopp Jr., who's a well-known uh, pro-life attorney who's uh, fought not only in Indiana for pro-life laws, but also uh, nationally. Uh, he presented to Mass Citizens for Life in a Zoom call last week that we shouldn't use 15 weeks or six weeks, or in other words, a, a definitive date from the time of supposed conception, but rather we should use uh, things like, uh, let's reduce the amount of abortions that are affiliated with uh, different types of issues like uh, rape or incest, and, and, uh, uh, exclude, uh, bringing the issue rather than the timeline as, as a way to win for the pro-life movement. What do you think of that? Well, I respect Jim Bob a great deal. He's done a lot of good work for National Rights to Life and other pro-life groups. Um, I have not considered this proposal super carefully, but I'm a little bit skeptical uh, because at the end of the day, you know, if we're going to try to limit abortion for different reasons. We don't really know in all cases why women are having abortions or they may claim different reasons than the actual reason. You know, with the gestational limit, you can to some degree measure or calculate gestational age of a child. And if you protect children after a certain point, you know, those children are legally protected. And it's a starting point. If you're just saying fewer abortions in such and such circumstance, women aren't necessarily going to be forthright about, you know, what circumstances they're having this abortion in. So it just strikes me as a little bit hard to enforce. Again, Jim's a very smart man, and uh, he may have you know, given this more, more thought than I'm giving him credit for. But I think the gestational age limits are, you know, are a good start. I mean, a lot of European countries have them. I think it just incrementally helps out pro-lifers. I think that uh, people will kind of realize that these limits are a bit arbitrary. You know, there's really no good reason why a children, child one day after 12 weeks should be protected, but one day before shouldn't be. So I think it just allows us to make some strong arguments and I think that'll allow for kind of bigger, bolder, better protections later on. Hmm. Okay. Now, I wanted to switch over and ask you about the Guttmacher Institute. Uh, they seem to have uh, 
abortion statistics that historically are more inclusive than the Centers for Disease Control. And Mildred Jefferson would always admonish me in saying, pregnancy is not a disease. <laughs> but uh, what do you make of the Guttmacher uh, 2023 statistics? Yeah, I guess earlier in September, they released some, to be clear, they released estimates for abortion in 2023. And they compared the first six months of 2023 to the first six months of 2020. And they claimed that between 2020 and 2023, abortions went up by almost 10%, uh, which is kind of hard to believe considering in 2023, we do have 14, 15 states that are actually protecting preborn children. Uh, now, I'm kind of skeptical of this for a variety of reasons. Uh, first off, Goobhawker made clear these are just estimates. They didn't, you know, contact all abortion facilities. They did a sample. And when you get a sample, it can be skewed. So that's one thing. Secondly, you know, they did provide what they call confidence intervals. So in some cases, they couldn't survey every facility. So the confidence interval. And some of these confidence intervals are, are quite large. I think like in Georgia, the upper estimate is like 80% higher than the lower estimate. That's a pretty big gap. In Florida, the upper estimate's 10,000 more abortions than the lower estimate. So there's a lot of variation in their numbers that uh, causes some questions about their reliability and accuracy. I'd also say that, you know, the fact that abortion numbers are going up in certain liberal parts of the country is not necessarily due to women from conservative states getting abortions in liberal states. Uh, sometimes it's just that liberal states are making their policies more permissive. In the past five or six years, we've seen three states start to cover abortion through the state Medicaid program. Uh, Illinois, uh, Rhode Island, Maine. That's probably pushing abortion numbers up in these states. Illinois repealed their parental involvement law. Um, Maine, uh, not Maine, um, Massachusetts, where you're at, weakened their pro-life parental involvement law. I'd also say that, you know, the Biden administration has done certain things to make chemical abortion pills more accessible. Uh, during the pandemic, they said a woman could get a chemical abortion pill without an in-person medical exam. Even after the pandemic, the Biden administration, FDA, you know, continued, I think, a very unwise, foolish, and reckless policy. So there's some policy things that are pushing abortion numbers up. You know, the pro-life laws we put in effect are doing good. You know, we saw the data in Texas, and then we have data from other states kind of showing similar things. So, yeah, we, we shouldn't despair. You know, uh, I don't think this data is reliable. And even if it is, it still doesn't discount the fact that pro-life laws are saving thousands of lives everywhere. Mm -hmm. Well, now, what about uh, in Massachusetts here, the, the, the female governor uh, immediately, almost immediately, said, well, we're going to buy a million dollars worth of Mifeprex uh, so that we can hand it out to the, for those people that can't get Mifeprex. And that's based on, I believe, the lawsuit that's occurring in another part of the country that, that yeah. might eliminate Mifeprex. What can you say about that? Well, it's interesting. Uh, I want to give up, tip my hat to the people at Alliance Defending Freedom. They have sued about you know, regulations involving chemical abortion drugs. And the history behind chemical abortion drugs is, is interesting. Their FDA approval occurred during the Clinton administration. It occurred in 2000, the last full year of the Clinton presidency. It was rushed through. The procedure used to approve the chemical abortion pill was typically used for only under situations where, you know, you're trying to approve. It was fast-tracked under kind of a procedure that's typically only used for life-saving drugs. Pregnancy, in most circumstances, is not life-threatening. So it was really pretty clear the FDA kind of approved the chemical abortion pill inappropriately. And again, this is done by the FDA. There were no legislation, no testimony, no hearings. 
I think if they had heard what happened to European countries and women who suffered you know, psychologically and physically from these chemical abortion drugs, it would have worked out differently. And, you know, the F Alliance Defending Freedom sued. They didn't get the chemical abortion pill off the market, but they did restore some of the original safeguards, which is, which is important. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, I think the lawsuit's ongoing. I'm not currently sure where it does stand, but I do think that it has highlighted some of the problems with the original approval and some of the health risks involved with chemical abortions. So I do think the good folks at Alliance Defending Freedom did a good job and uh, should be, you know, receive our applause and our support for what they did. Do you think uh, the Comstock Act can eliminate uh, the uh, pushing Mifeprex across state lines? That's a very interesting question. I mean, Comstock laws were, you know, enacted you know, a good while ago to stop, you know, sexually oriented pornographic materials from, you know, being, from being sent through the mail. Um, and that did include abortifacients and abortion pills. Um, obviously, the Comstock Acts were passed many, many years ago, but they are still on the books. I think the lawsuits are interesting. Uh, I'm not a lawyer. I don't like to speculate on how any lawsuit might turn out, but I think it is an interesting legal strategy. Um, some groups are working on it. You know, I, I wish them well. Right. It, uh, I know that uh, in my readings, the Comstock, I think it was in the 1860s or 70s, so it was about 150 years old, and that it has been nibbled at at the edges, but... Um, as it comes, if it comes to a head here, I think there'll be a big legal, a huge legal battle uh, if, if the uh, Comstock Act is upheld. And uh, any other things in the pro-life world that you think should be noted at this, at this juncture? You know, I just think that, uh, you know, Ohio, there's a March for Life taking place there. I guess uh, October 5th or 6th, or that Friday is, I encourage people to, to go and uh, support uh, that effort. Um, you know, so I think that's always interesting. Uh, my good friend, Teresa Bukovnik, is running for president as a pro-life Democrat. You know, uh, she's uh, challenging Joe Biden in the Democratic presidential primaries, the first uh, pro-life woman to try to get the Democratic Party's presidential nomination since 1976. So she's got some media coverage and Hopefully, she'll be a positive impact on, on this debate. Uh, she wants to you know, run pro-life TV commercials with any uh, money she might be able to raise. So I've been doing a little bit of, to help her with that. And uh, 40 Years for Life kicked off yesterday. I'm uh, helping to run the Washington, D.C. campaign. Uh, we were very lucky. Uh, Abby Johnson came by today. I was teaching, so I did not get a chance to see Abby in person, but she did prance on the Planned Parenthood and sent a picture. So I have that on my Twitter feed. So, uh, you know, if you work on pro-life issues and you're bored, it's your own fault. You know, <laughs> political stuff and street-level activism, uh, there's plenty to do. I see. Well, thank you for doing that uh, out in front of the Planned Parenthood in Washington, D.C. I, I was there with you one day when I got down to D.C. early for a 115 forum meeting. Well, Michael, thank you so much. Right, that group doesn't exist. What's that? It's a, sec it's a secret. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today and making time. We really appreciate it on short notice. And folks, we hope you enjoyed and learned a lot about the show and found it to be unique, informative, content-rich, truthful, and thought-provoking. Thanks for watching and listening. My name's Brendan O'Connell, your friend for life.
The preceding commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 02119. Attention WBCA LP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.